Genesis 41. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. And you sit at the right hand of the Father and you're enthroned in glory and you have eyes of fire. And there's this radiance beams from you. And you have these creatures that bow down before you, these fiery ones, and they cry, holy, 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 day and night, and they do not rest. And Lord, one day we will be gathered around your throne, and we will be calling out and singing to you and praising you. And the pains of this world and the trials of this world will be gone, but the love will remain. Our faith will become sight. So Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. I pray that we would live for eternity. We'd live with eternity in our, in our sight. That uh, the pain and the suffering, the trials, the prison, the pits that we're going through, Lord, I ask that uh, you would allow us to see your handiwork in the middle of it, what you're doing in our character, how you're molding us into Christ Jesus this very day, this very moment. We pray that your word would take effect in the hearts of your children, um, from the littlest ones here to the oldest, Lord. Bless the teachers today, and bless the receivers. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. So, the story of Joseph. If you uh, weren't here last week, I recommend you get the message, which will be online. (laughs) Um, But Joseph, the son of Jacob, the uh, second youngest of, of 12 uh, brothers, and the older 10 didn't like him too much, and so they decided to throw him in a pit. And they were going to plan, they were planning to kill him, but they decided to make a profit off, off of him. How wonderful, nice older brothers. And they sold him to slave traders who took him down to Egypt. So he went from the pit, and then he was sold into Potiphar's house, which was the captain of the guard, and he was there until he was falsely accused of rape by his wife. He was innocent uh, by Potiphar's wife. And he got thrown from Potiphar's house into prison. And there he sat. And last week we talked about two characters that were introduced in the prison from the king's palace, the cupbearer and the baker. And lo and behold, they had two dreams while they were there. Remember, Joseph is a dreamer, right? And Joseph was able to interpret the dreams. The cupbearer was to be restored in three days. And the baker was impaled after three days. And you have a beautiful picture there of the cup and the bread. And the cross and the cup of of pain and suffering that he took, but also the cup of salvation we take, the body that was broken for him, and because of his stripes we are healed, and so there's this duality within it, and we looked at that a little bit last week. But it came to pass at the end there, while Joseph was talking to the cupbearer who would be restored, he said, remember me, remember me when you are restored into the kingdom. Remember me when you get restored in three days and you go back. Remember me. I haven't done anything. I'm stuck in this prison. And last verse of chapter 40 says, verse 23 says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. 
You know, we had an awesome voluntary time of communion last week. I know we did it two weeks in a row. What do you know? Broke tradition. And it was just beautiful. And how easy it is for us to forget the Lord, you know? But anyway, so Jeff, Joseph is left waiting. But for how long? Well, chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. It says, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. And after them seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up to the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. Verse 5. Then he fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing in a single stalk. And after them, seven other heads of grain sprouted up, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. And then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. Verse 8, in the morning, his mind was troubled. Remember that. His mind was troubled. The dreams had caused him trouble. Remember the other two guys, they had woken up in prison, they had had those dreams, and they were distraught, they were troubled. Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by his dream. These things are troubling. They're causing the trouble, the turmoil in their heart is causing them to seek something. And so he sent for what he knew best, for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but no one could interpret him for him. You know, we, we saw this later in the time of Moses, uh, over 400 years from our story uh, today, that uh, Pharaoh in that day would do similar things. He would consult the magicians and all those, uh, you know, wise guys of the day. And if you remember the story, uh, Charlton Heston was there and he took the, the rod and he threw it down. Remember the other two snakes and they ate it up, right? They, it's, what's interesting is there was the counterfeit gifts that demons and demonic and Satan actually have power. And we know about in the end times that he will release that power and, if possible, even deceive the elect. Uh, to the elect. That would be us, the elect. But no. And so Pharaoh consults these wise men, and, if, and they could not interpret this for him. The king of Joseph's day could not find the answers to the dreams that plagued him except by seeking the Lord. And it just so happened in verse 9, in God's sovereignty, I love this, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Isn't that every day? Write that. That's your verse of the day. Verse 10. And Pharaoh was once angry with his servants. And he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guards. And each of us had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And now we we told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And the thing turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my, my position and the other man was impaled. Remember, he was impaled on a tree. Verse 14, And so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. 
And verse 16 says, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. For those of you who are in the Genesis class, you know that this is a really pivotal verse in the life of Joseph and the history of the nation of Israel. You know, there's a progression in the character and the development of Joseph. Remember when he was young, he had these dreams. God had given him these dreams. He had these sheaves, you know, the wheat that was stacked up, and he had these representing his brothers, and he was in the middle, and all those bowed down to him, and he decided to go ahead and tell his brothers, hey, I had this dream, and guess what, everybody? You're all bowing down to me. Now, whether that was prideful or whether it was truthful, I, I, I don't know, but I see maturity in Joseph through time. He had another dream right after that, and guess what? The stars and the moon and the sheaves would all bow down to him, and that was his mom and dad. And so, hey, mom and dad, guess what? You're going to bow down to me too. And so, fast forward 13 years. He's in the, in, the, in the prison, and he meets those two guys. They tell him the dream, and a lot's happened in his life and his heart. He's grown quite a bit in his relationship with the Lord. Suffering has had its work in him. And how does he respond when they say, hey, we've had these dreams? Joseph says, hey, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Seems pretty good. Good answer, right? There's one problem, there's one word in there that would probably, that God wants to work on, and that word is me. Because you notice, here, Joseph says, I cannot do it but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I can't do it, but God will give you the answer. Brothers and sisters, Joseph was really gifted. He was a pretty special young guy. He was given authority at a young age. I mean, he was something else. God is not impressed with our natural giftedness. He is not impressed with our spiritual giftedness. He is impressed with our emptiness. And this is something that God is working over and over in the hearts of his disciples. Yeah, you can lead worship or you can play guitar or you can talk at Ignazium and make people go to sleep. I have that gift. And I see the giftings in, in us, right? It really doesn't impress God. God gave those to us, right? What impresses them is, is when I'm empty. When it's not me. When it's truly him working in and through me. How many of you can just will it? I'm going to be empty today. You know what? I mean, there's a choice we have as disciples that I choose to deny myself and follow Christ, right? But there's also sanctification. God is taking us through a process in our lives that involves suffering to make us into the image of Christ Jesus, who, if you read into these verses, he matured through suffering as well. Through the discipline of God. You can read that in Hebrews and other places. Look at the life of Moses, for example. Moses was gifted. when He was, in, he was trained by everybody in Egypt. I mean, he had the... the, the ultimate education. He was second in charge 
in line probably to be Pharaoh. He's 40 years old. He sees the injustice. He has a call upon his life. He sees the Egyptians mistreating the Hebrews, and he decides to jump in, and he decides to go ahead and save this guy, and he goes and ends up and kills the Egyptian, murders him, right? Buries him in the sand, thinking in his heart that they would understand that he's the one to be the delivering them with his strength, his, his power, his authority. They did not understand. He had to spend 40 years in the wilderness to the point where he, when God actually called him, he said, I can't do it. And it was to the point where God almost got upset with him. He said, he got upset with him. He said, hey, did I not make your mouth? I can't do it. Moses was eloquent, but he had come to the end of himself in that wilderness. It was then that God called him. Peter I love Peter. Everybody love Peter? Man, tenacious. He just goes after things, you know? Opinionated, strong-willed, hard worker, probably fisherman. Follow me. And did God use him during that time? Yeah, he did great and marvelous things. But when it came to the real deal of laying down his life for the Lord like he said he would, I'll go, to the, I'll go to the hill with you, Lord. And what happened? Denied him three times. He was so discouraged in his heart, so distraught. He said, forget it, I'm out. And he went back fishing. I'm going back to what I know. And it was there while he was fishing, and not, by the way, not catching anything, that there was a man on the shore who had some fish, by the way, and called him, said, hey, you know, fish, throw your nets on the other side. He sees him, and John goes, hey, I think that's the Lord. Ties up and runs. I mean, dives, swims over to him. The Lord said to him, hey, do you love me? Three times, right? Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs, you know? Three times, and Peter was broken. The Lord gave him a stinging rebuke. He, he, he showed him where he was just, you thought you could do it. In your strength, in your zeal, in your desire to follow me, you thought you could do it. You thought you could will it. You thought you could do it. And Peter was broken. And Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to wait. Wait for my power to fall upon you. And he went and waited with the rest of the disciples. They were there fellowshipping and praying and hanging out. And then, you know, 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell upon Peter. And Peter was empty, and now he was filled. Filled with the Lord. And that same Peter, he stood up in front of all those people he denied Christ in front of, the Sanhedrin, in fear of death, all these things, and he preached. And Thousands came to the Lord that day and would come through his life. What's the difference? God in Peter. Peter was empty. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, blessed are the really talented and spiritually gifted and type A's. Woo! No, bankrupt. 
Paul. Well, I mean, look at Peter for a second. He would go on, and Jesus alluded to this at the end of the Gospels there, how Jesus would die. Peter went on, and church history says that he was crucified, but he's crucified upside down. Why did he say that? Because I am unworthy to be crucified in the same way as the Lord. He went to the cross, friends. He finished well. God took him through a journey. Did Peter blow it throughout that whole time, even after being filled with the Holy Spirit? Of course he did. Paul had to smack him around a little bit. We all are like that, but we're on a journey. God is making us into the image of Christ Jesus. I love that. Look at Paul. Paul was... Man, if you could just sit there and go, I wish I could have that intellect, that power. I mean, look at Paul. Amazing man of God. A master teacher, the leader of the Pharisees, trained by Gamaliel, the premier Pharisee of the day. Perfect and following the law. Intelligent, educated, zealous, personable, loyal, type A, get her done. I mean, he is amazing. You know what Paul said about all that? Dung. It's all dung. And I I could translate that for you into English, but I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? That's his estimation of all that. It's worthless. Do you hear me, type A's? Type B's and C's? D minuses? Paul had to spend years in Arabia letting the Lord retrain him, re-cleanse him, just getting that junk out of there, putting things right. Cleansing him from the idea that his performance, his dedication, his zeal, his giftedness was why God would use him. Because of what I have to offer, that's why God will use me. That is not why God used Paul. Paul would go on to say, the reason why God chose me is because I am the chief of sinners. Because I have blown it royally. I am so wicked. I have persecuted the church. I've killed Christians. I have been his arch enemy. And that is why God chose me, to show me grace. And the reason why he showed me grace is so that when you look at me, you see Wow, if God can forgive him, God can work in his life and show him grace. He must be able to do that with me. That is why, Paul, why God chose Paul. Not because of all those things. And God would take him, and then he would use, by the way, the natural giftings and the spiritual giftings that God gave him for his glory. Do you see? But it wasn't until he was empty of self that God could begin to use those things fully in his kingdom. And friends, that took time. That took years. Even this preaching changed. When you look at him speaking about all these eloquent things and uses these masterful arguments and, you know, our early lawyers used to take the first 12 chapters of Romans and teach law school out of them how to set up a case and defend it. I mean, he was brilliant. But then later he would say, you know what, I just choose to preach Christ and him crucified. He'd grown in time. He realized that 
like Joseph, he came to a point in his relationship with God where he fully realized that in me, in my flesh, that is, there dwells no good thing. Anybody kind of realizing that after a little bit of time? Yeah. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. But through Christ, I can do all things. That is awesome, isn't it? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The realization of this, this principle in the life of Joseph, guess how it was developed? Through suffering, through pain. And so church, as we gather together and as we pray for one another, as we see each other, yeah, we, we, we want to reach out and say, Lord, help. But I would say, Lord, work in and through these people to fashion the image of Christ Jesus. And on surface, that seems cruel. It's not. Because God is forming something beautiful. The flesh is going away. And we want to pray for each other, right? But the Spirit, in our weakness, He is made strong. That is what God is fashioning in us, in each of us. And He does it through suffering. And I know we suffer in many different ways. Joseph has suffered And through this process, Joseph became humbled before God and he realized that those gifts, as amazing as they were, were not for his purpose, but for God's. Hey, Pharaoh, I can't do it, but God, he'll do it. And I guess he's gonna use me, praise the Lord. It was at that point when his heart that he was in that place where God had trained him through those years that Joseph was fully released into what God had called him to do. Didn't mean he wasn't using him in the meantime. We saw that. But it was in preparation for what God had called him for. Some of you might be, you know, in your prime going, Okay, God, I'm going to go knock down walls. Okay, we're going to let you knock down walls and have fun with that for a little bit. But, you know, and God, you'll have fun. But God is training you. He's, he's raising you up. And some of you might be, uh, okay, God, well, I'm 70. Look at my whole life. You know what? Yeah, right about now, when you just can't trust in that flesh and that body and what you used to do, get ready. Get ready for the ministry that the Lord has for you. Let them fill you and use you, church. You know, we focus on reaching the next generation. I want to reach the next generation. But I tell you, you older folks, I'm excited. When I see you, like, getting worn out and just like, oh, gosh, you know, another day. Now, look to your Redeemer. Look for him to fill you and strengthen you with something you do not have anymore. Let him use you. But Joseph, he went from one day, when, his, when it was done, when it was ready, he went one day, he went from the depths of the dungeon, from the, from the prison, to the palace. He was ready. That's hope, isn't it? There's a lot we could look at there. But verse 17, Pharaoh said to Joseph, hey, in my dream I was standing, and they retell things a lot in the Bible, okay? In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, 
And when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds, and after them seven cows that were scrawny. And I'd never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them up, no one could tell that what they had done. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. It scared me to wake up. All right, in verse 22, it says, Hey, in my dream I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. And after them, seven heads sprouted, withered and thin, scorched by the east wind. Verse 24, the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told, I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. So two dreams. Seven fat cows eating seven skinny, skinny cows. Seven fat stalks of, of grain, uh, of heads of grain eaten, this, this, eaten by the skinny stalk, right? And so verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. They both mean the same thing. God has revealed it to Pharaoh, what he is about to do. The seven good cows, now he's given the interpretation, right? The seven good cows are seven years. The cows represent years. And the seven good heads of grain represent seven years. They're both one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. There are seven years of famine. And so it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them and then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows is so severe the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. can talk about two witnesses and all that type of stuff, but God re- repeats it so he knows it's established. And so the dream Pharaoh dreamt, there's going to be seven years of absolute awesome harvest and followed by seven years of devastation, so much so that you will forget the seven years of, of, of goodness. That's what's coming. God is letting you know what's happening. Many of you uh, Bible prophecy buffs and those who survived the book of Revelation probably are picking up on the number seven here. We know that we are headed for a seven-year period of absolute, total devastation. It's called the tribulation. Jesus speaks about it more than he talks about other things. It's talking about prophesied by the prophets, spoken by Jesus, the apostles, and explained in graphic detail in Revelation chapter, uh, I think, 6 through, or 9 through, uh, 6 through 19. And leading up to that time, the world is going to be getting worse and worse. We know about that. But it seems also the scripture is going to indicate that there's going to be times of great security. As they're going to say, when they say peace and safety, hey, everything's peaceful and safe. There's abundance. That's when destruction comes. He talks about a thief in the night. Why is it a thief in the night? Because if you're expecting a thief, if you're expecting the harshness to come, then it won't take you by surprise. No, this time coming upon the earth will take it by surprise. And the reason why it'll take it by surprise, many people believe, and I believe as well, is because the goodness will be good. People will be marrying and drinking and, and having kids and all these things just like they did in the time of Noah up until this point and it will just shock the world like the seven years before. And all of a sudden, there's going to be this seven years 
that is going to be absolutely horrible on the earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. In other words, they were thoroughly taught in it. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon woman and childbirth, and they shall not escape. And so again, that time leading up is going to be quick. Read First Thessalonians chapter 5. It'll encourage you. But the illustration of the fat cows being eaten by the seven is an allusion to this a little bit. There are other verses as well that speak of the normalcy of life going on. Matthew twenty four thirty seven. So it was in the days of Noah. So it shall be the coming of son of man, eating and drinking and marrying. In the tribulation period, it's going to be so bad. Listen up, everybody. In the tribulation period, in that seven years, it is going to be so bad. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21 through 22, it says, For then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equal again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect of those days will be shortened. Listen to this. Half of the world's population will be gone. They will be killed. Half of the world's population, Revelation 6, 8, and onward, you can read about that. But one-third of all the vegetation will be burned, all grass and tree everywhere. The green will be destroyed. The sun and the moon will be darkened. The gates of hell will be opened, and hordes of locusts the size of horses will come upon the earth. The locusts will be allowed to sting people for a period of five months. In five months, they won't be able to die. Zombie, you know? I mean, they'll just be can't move five months they want to die but they can't bible says that men will beg god to let them die but we won't be able to die there'll be worldwide famine like anything the world's ever seen worldwide earthquake i mean just the oceans will be turned to blood there's just horrible things it goes on and on so the question immediately comes to mind will i have to go through that read first thessalonians chapter five homework So in our story, Joseph tells the king of Egypt that they're going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of severe famine. And he continues in verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put him in charge of the land. I love this about Joseph. He not only addresses the problem, but he gives a solution. I like solution people, don't you? Let Pharaoh appoint some commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance, and they should collect all the foods from the good years that are coming up and store the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities of food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by their famine. Good leaders, they think ahead. King, get a leader. Get someone in charge. Secondly, put commissioners to help him administrate this. Take a fifth of all the goodness coming forward. And the purpose is the preservation of life. 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. Listen, why did God put Joseph through all this stuff? All the years of hardship, all the years of being under authority. All the years of being under authority yet being blessed. 
it's for this time. Because in, the, in Potiphar's house, in the prison, God was training him for the palace. He was training him to be a blessing to the nations. He did not have what it took until that was complete in him. And the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all the officials. Verse 38, we're going to quickly finish through this. And so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? Hey, we've talked to the, all the wise men, the, the musicians, magicians. We've talked to everybody. Is there anybody like this guy? He is just so talented and gifted and awesome. What does the Pharaoh recognize? What does it say? Is there anyone like this guy who has what? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Church, how we need to be full of the Spirit of God. People filled with the Spirit of God, overflowing, not barking and clucking. Weirdness. Look at the seven, I'm serious, look at the seven manifestations of the Spirit of God in Isaiah, what is it, chapter 11. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord rests on him, the Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. All these were given to Jesus. They were present in Jesus. He had the Spirit, John 3 says, without measure. It was not held back. He had all these things. He didn't have the Spirit of barking and clucking and weirdness, did he? Wisdom, understanding. And listen, it goes on in Isaiah 11, how these things actually play out. It says, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. What do we do? We judge by appearance. Or decide by what he hears with his ears. What do we do? But with righteousness, the contrast there. With righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with his rod, rod of his mouth. and the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Jesus is this person. The Spirit of the Lord. Look at Stephen. Look at all the apostles and the Spirit of God. They could, they could, they could not wrestle with what was in them. It wasn't their intellect, it wasn't their talent, it was the Spirit of God in them. Verse 39, quickly. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, all the people. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. What a picture of Jesus and the Father. I love this. Jesus was submitted to the Father's will. Jesus had the authority of the Father. And everyone one day will be submitted to him. You know, and although the Father and Jesus are equal, they have roles. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is to testify of Jesus. We hardly ever see the Spirit you know, he's always working behind the scenes. And the purpose of Jesus is to testify of who? The Father. Yet they are co-equal. 
I can tell you right now, my wife and I have different roles. She is not less than me. We are co-equal. And that somehow our society got warped. I don't know when the heck happened there. Abuses on all sides. Sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, actually. But, so anyways, I want to quickly go on. Each fully God in perfect harmony. So Joseph has gone. He's gone from the pit to Potiphar's to prison and overnight to the prince of the palace to execute God's plan. I like how David Guzik talks about Joseph's life summary. He says, Joseph is a good example of a man who seemed to have all the gifts and talents for leadership, but God developed his character and talents over many years. Gifts and talents may be impressive and immediate, but character is what God looks for and always takes time to develop boy, we've got a lot of talented people, but we need to develop character. I need to develop character. Verse 41, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Here are the keys. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Different types of chains were around him, huh? Verse 43 said, he had, he had him ride in a chariot as a second in command, and all the people shouted before him, make way or bow down. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, none will lift a hand or foot in all of G- Egypt. And Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonetheth Panea, and he gave him Asethanath, uh, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Uh, to be his wife. And so Joseph, he's given robes of fine linen. He rode chariots before all the people. Everybody bowed down. Without his word, no one could lift a hand or a foot. He was given this name, which we really don't know what it means. I know the margins say different things. Some, th- some say it means the treasure of, glorious, of the glory's rest upon him. And he was given this Gentile bride. A lot of parallels to Christ here. Real quickly, in closing, Revelation chapter 19 speaks most of these. The bride, the horses, the people, his name, the word. But I'll, I'll just read a little section here. Uh, it says, in Revelation 19, verse 11, it says, I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on, on white horses and dressed in fine linen, and white and clean. That's us. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, that word, right? Uh, which, which to strike the nations down, nothing can happen unless he says it. He will rule with them with an iron scepter and he treads the winepress of his fury, the wrath of God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, amen. That's gonna be a glorious day and it's coming soon. And Joseph went through out the land of Egypt. Joseph was how old? 30 years old. When did Jesus begin his public ministry? 30 years old. Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced 
plentifully, and Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored in all the cities. And each he put the food had grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sands of the sea, and it was so much that he stopped keeping record because it was beyond measure. Couldn't even count it. And for the years, verse 50, a famine came. Two sons were born to Joseph by uh, that lady, yeah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. He said, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my, and all my father's household. And the second he named Ephraim and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Joseph named his kids Manasseh, which means to forget, and Ephraim, which means twice fruitful. Listen, the goodness of God was so good when the trial was over, he forgot all the bad that had happened. It's gonna be like heaven. It's also gonna be when God works through us and our trials are done, when we have been trained by it. These, there's so much there, but the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said, and the famine, in the, uh, the famine was, I'm sorry, there was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. This word for food is translated bread more than it is for food, way more. Um, so just keep that in mind. And when all the Egyptians, verse 55, began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food, for bread. And the Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Hey, when, when did you hear that before? Go, to Juice, go, go and do what he tells you. Do you remember that? Who said that? Just do everything he says. Do you remember Mary? Cana, they're at a wedding. What was going on there? There wasn't enough. And what do we have here? There wasn't enough. Bread, pretty fun. How the scriptures, first miracle, all that stuff. Yeah. Go to him and do what he tells you. A wedding, ran out of wine. Jesus' first miracle was a wedding, turning water into wine. And Joseph, of a type of Christ, there's a lack of bread, which he provides. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. There is a famine that plagues our lives. We are so bankrupt. We are so thoroughly in need of God's provision. And Jesus has an overflowing amount of bread and wine. Enough provision to remove any sin that you've ever committed or will commit. Jesus is your provider in the famine of this world. He welcomes you. He welcomes me into his house to enjoy. And by the way, while there's that seven years of hell on earth, judging those who have rejected God and his grace, his provision of Jesus. The bride of Christ will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. We will be hanging out in heaven with God, enjoying the goodness of his table. I love that. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for all that is there. There's so much um, that we could get into. I ask that you would just cause us to seek you this week 
and to not satisfy with low-hanging fruit, Lord, but to go deep and to dig after you as if you were silver and gold. And that you would satisfy the deepest part of our hearts with your word, Lord, with your provision. Father, I pray that you would continue to empty your people, empty us of us, and fill us with you. I am in desperate need of your Holy Spirit. I know that my brothers and sisters are in desperate need of your Spirit. Would you fill this small little church in Walla Walla? And Lord, may they not look at us and go, oh, look how gifted they are in this and that. But they would look at us and go, wow, they've spent time with Jesus. What is it about them? They've got the Spirit of God. And may that come with great humility, Lord. You are working a work in us that is precious. I thank you for the story of Joseph, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.